welcome to today's podcast, Putting Together High-Performing Networks and Programs. This program is brought to you by the Healthcare Administrators Association, HCAA. For over 40 years, HCAA has supported third-party administrators and the self-insured employer industry through educational opportunities from leading industry experts. For information on joining HCAA, please visit our website, hcaa.org. I'm your host, Ramesh Kumar, and I'm on a mission to bring value to the healthcare industry through improved transparency. And my goal from this podcast is to give you one aha moment that you can implement in your business, whether you're a TPA, broker, or an employer. In my day job, I run a company called Zaki Point Health that helps self-insured employers and their employees find meaning from the healthcare data. Please like or share this podcast on your favorite podcasting tool so we can bring together a community of like-minded professionals. Before we begin, I would like to bring you a word from our sponsor, Elap. Elap Services provides a powerful alternative to traditional healthcare insurance, allowing self-insured employers and their employees to take back control of their healthcare cost. Elap's reference-based pricing solution promotes the responsible and sustainable management of healthcare costs while providing concierge-level support for plan members. Founded in 2007, Elap has over half a million members nationwide and has helped more than 500 employers-sponsored health plans reduce their medical spend. Visit elapservices.com. Today, we have Brian Klepper, founder of Worksite Healthcare Advisor and has spent 30 years in healthcare helping evaluate healthcare programs. We will be talking about high-performance programs, including high-performance networks, and how to go about this. Some of the things that you'll get to learn from this podcast today are what are some of the challenges in putting together high-performance networks or programs? How do you go about finding high-performing providers and structure outcome-based contracts? Which categories work well for putting together high-performing programs. Sit back and enjoy. Good morning, Ryan. I'm so excited to have you on our topic here, talking about high-performance networks in healthcare. Personally, I've been really thinking a lot about how we can bring better quality care and reduce costs. And I know you have worked over the last 30 years on, on this kind of topic and really thinking about and not just thinking about helping employers and uh, helping benefit consultants uh, to put high performance networks, but uh, also some of the work earlier on you've been doing on with the general administrative office that has led to some of the investigative work on why in healthcare we've got this price sham going on. So I'm very excited, but rather than me introducing you to our audience, why don't you tell us why should our audience listen to you? I wouldn't give them any particular reason why they should listen to me particularly, except that I've been doing this a long time and I'm focused all of my efforts on evidence of what's going on and ways to get a better system. I think that the American healthcare system has been rigged by the major healthcare companies. They're doing very, very well and they're costing us more and more every year. We're now at a place where healthcare cost represents the biggest threat to our national economic security. And 
it is undermining our ability to be globally competitive. So it's a real problem in the country. And I think that the approaches that I'm interested in, value-based payment and the search for high-performance healthcare organizations that simply do different kinds of healthcare functions in a way better way than the conventional approaches are part of the solutions. Any data you can share, Brian, around cost and quality conundrum, why we should pay attention to this? I think that most everybody knows that we pay double what all other industrialized countries pay for what, it, what turns out to be pretty mediocre healthcare. There's, there's good data from the OECD that shows that we have by far the most expensive healthcare for very, very mediocre quality. And what that means is that there's not really any question about this. What that means is that we have the lowest value healthcare in the world, in the industrialized world. There's really no excuse for that, except for the fact that we're being taken advantage of by the health plans, by the provider organizations, by pharma, and so on. And there are better ways to do it. The deeper problem is that the healthcare industry has become the most wealthy industry in the country, and they lobby and have taken control of Congress and the legislative policy processes, so they own policy. So if you want to get anything accomplished, it really doesn't make sense to try to do it in policy because the special interests in healthcare will only spin it to their own advantage and against our advantage. So the sure. place to work is in the marketplace. Yep. So maybe let's bring to the nuts and bolts of this. So what are some of the challenges in putting together a high performance network? Let's say I'm an employer or a benefit consultant or a TPA. What are the challenges in putting together the right kind of high performance networks? The concept of a high performing network is really incredibly simple. It's let's find the provider organizations that manage a given high value niche of healthcare way better than the conventional approach. Let me give you some examples of that. There is a musculoskeletal management company in Florida that's doing work all around the country for some very large clients. They're working now for Walmart. They're working for Michelin. They work for Whole Foods Market. And the data show after more than a million patient encounters, that they get way better health outcomes, pain reduction, range of motion, activities of daily living, in half the recovery time and at half the cost of conventional orthopedics. Well, you're talking about an area of healthcare that eats up 20% of the money. And so just by working with that one organization, an employer can get a savings of about 10% of total healthcare spend on that one thing. That's an enormous advantage. And why wouldn't everybody want to use something that gets a better result for much lower cost? So let's maybe take, take that example. Yeah. So in Florida, how would a employer, TPA, think about 
whether it's contracting and putting that contract in place, what are the challenges they encounter? Well, there are several. One is, are you big enough to direct contract with an organization like that on your own? Another is, will your health plan allow you to use a vendor like this as part of your health plan structure? If you're working with one of the major health plans, Anthem or Humana or one of the Blue Crosses or United or Cigna or Aetna, they're probably going to do everything possible to not allow you to do it. So your better option is to go out and find a third-party administrator that'll be more flexible with you. Are your employees and their families, are they in a concentrated area, in a concentrated geographic area, or are they spread out all over creation? So what are the pragmatic considerations associated with doing a direct contract with an organization like this? One way to think about what these organizations represent is that each one is effectively a clinical or financial risk reduction module. Healthcare is made up of two kinds of risks, clinical risk and financial risk, and each one is important. You wanna be focused on the places where the money is and where the quality issues are. And so that ranges from musculoskeletal to cardiometabolic to management of chronic disease, which eats up about 75% of the money to cancer and drug management, claims review, large claims resolution for cases where you're getting a $25 million bill and you want to try to knock it down to, to seven, all kinds of nooks and crannies like this in healthcare that have tremendous importance, especially if you're the guy paying the bill. Mm. So quite a few areas where you could put some form of a high performance network or a contract in place. Let me add a, another editorial comment. Healthcare purchasers, employers and unions have been obsessed for the last several decades, for the last couple of decades with wellness and prevention. And it turns out that there's really very little data that shows that there's a lot of money there or that there's a lot of success there, that those programs deliver a lot of value. And the kinds of programs that I'm talking about are where the money is and where the quality needs to be. So if you think it through, you know, there are areas like musculoskeletal systems, cardiometabolic care, which includes obesity and diabetes and chronic kidney disease and cardiopulmonary disease, all kinds of areas like this that have massive costs and that are associated with, with lots and lots of people on a daily basis. There's also the unusual cases. So for example, there's a group that I'm working with out of New York that only deals with very high acuity mental health cases. Here we're talking about people who are very severely depressed or suicidal, who are swallowing sharp objects. Turns out that when you look at the math on these kinds of groups, they represent one-tenth of one percent of total health care of the population, 
one tenth of one percent of the total patient population, but they consume 12 to 14 percent of total healthcare spending. So they are enormously expensive cases if you've got one. And given that you have enough lives, you definitely do have one or more than one of these kinds of patients. You talked about how it makes sense for a larger employer and some of those categories of services. Maybe if you could touch on what is kind of wrong the way currently the care is being delivered for those categories. Is there just a lot of variance in quality or cost? Maybe if you're able to put some some kind of... Yeah, yeah but the core problem is that we've had a fee-for-service payment paradigm for more than six decades. And fee-for-service rewards providers for doing more care rather than the right care, and it's independent of the quality that they get. It's just that if you can do more things to a patient, you get more money. That has been the overarching concern. When you institutionalize that as we have through Medicare and Medicaid and commercial sector, you create a system that becomes shaped by that. And so it turns out that if you look at US care and cost patterns, they're utterly different than they are in the other industrialized nations of the world. The, the percentage of surgeries that we do for musculoskeletal, we do twice as many in the US as we do in Europe. If we look at cardiac stenting, we do way more here than we do in Europe or South America or Asia. Imaging is an area where we just do way more because it's paid for and it's very lucrative. And so that changes the incentive structure for providers and it has created a system where everybody is trying to push as hard as possible to get more and more and more money out of the system if you're in the healthcare industry. So trying to like help our listeners again to make it practical. So let's take musculoskeletal. If you were to put a, a high performance network in place for an employer of, I don't know, what would be the right cutoff? And what would that look like? What would be the steps they could well, follow? I get five calls a week or so from healthcare organizations that want to tell me how wonderful they are. And I ask them a series of questions and more often than not, people can't answer the questions. You know, and the questions are, tell me in a sentence what you do that is so great and that is different than everybody else that claims to be in the same niche you are. And the second question is, show me longitudinal data, long-term data that demonstrates that you consistently deliver better health outcomes and or much lower cost than conventional approaches in your niche. And I'd like to see how you do the arithmetic. Point me to three or five clients that you've got who are willing to say nice things about you and please give me their contact information so I can talk to them without you being there. How do you scale? It's great that you can get great results in Indianapolis, but I need this done in 
Sacramento, California or Providence, Rhode Island, and can I set it up to get exactly the same kind of results no matter where I go? Is it sticky or enduring? It's great that you get great results after three months, but what kind of results are you getting after three years? Is it still effective? How does it fit into the larger and existing healthcare management ecosystem? Is it just another module that you have to put on top of everything else or does it integrate in and become seamless to the patient and the purchaser? And then the most important question, the litmus test, is do you have enough confidence in what you're doing that you are willing to financially guarantee the results? So the organization I mentioned in Florida, they will go to an employer and they will say, if you work with us, we will financially guarantee you a 25% reduction in musculoskeletal spend with better outcomes on the measures that we'll show you over your current experience. Well, a 25% reduction on musculoskeletal spend translates to, at a minimum, a four to 6% reduction in total healthcare spend. That's a big number. And more realistically, you're going to get a reduction of 10 to 12%. Would you recommend in those places the contract to be signed where you only get paid if you get that 10% reduction at the very least or or a big portion of your payment is tied to that 10% reduction? Well, no, it's stronger than that. It says if they don't get that reduction, if the client does not get that reduction, the vendor owes them that money to make it up. It really puts the onus on the vendor to produce performance that is commensurate with what they've claimed they can do. When I look at healthcare companies that come to me and claim that they're high performing, I'm asking them those questions and I'm looking hard at the data. And some of these are incredible. Some have have appeared to be as evolved as I'm hoping for, but they don't quite have the data yet. So for example, There's an incredibly interesting company out of Ohio that has developed an AI-driven tool that guides primary care physician prescribing for major chronic diseases. It turns out that one of the problems with managing chronic disease, which is, as I mentioned, about 75% of all the money, is the complexity of managing those chronic diseases. You've got all these different metabolic pathways and different drugs that do different things, and they're all interacting and keeping them all straight is basically a superhuman task. It's beyond the ability of most humans to manage that, but a machine can do it. And they have built that machine. The data show, for example, that 44% of Americans with hypertension have it under control, which means that 56% of Americans with hypertension don't have it under control. And they're having elevated levels of heart attacks, strokes, amputations, hypertension under control. That's a huge advance. That when you look at the data over four or five years, you will see 
dramatic drops in healthcare costs associated with all the conditions that would normally occur in that population. Mm -hmm. So that's a very exciting kind of kind of advance. Why wouldn't you want to use a tool like that? Yeah. That, does that help? Yeah, sounds good. So so if I'm also then summarizing the kind of whether it's programs or services where you can apply this high performance network idea is ranging from chronic conditions, musculoskeletal to cancer cases. Are you also putting things like surgeries as part of this or is that a different yes. category? No, it's a different category, but it's the same principle. Okay, so, so the same set of questions that you asked to a provider, it'll apply to to surgery network or surgery service center. Right, so there are organizations, for example, they will go to centers of excellence, national or regional centers of excellence, like a Mayo or a Cleveland or a, a Geisinger or an Oxner, and they'll say, we wanna know what the performance of your, all of your cardiac surgeons are. And we want to contract with them. And so the, the organization will say, well, here are our 14 cardiac surgeons and, and here's the performance data on each one. And the organizations will come back and say, okay, thank you very much. We've looked at the 14 surgeons and we're interested in three of them. And we'll look at the other 11 sometime later in the future. But we want to contract directly with those three surgeons that consistently get way better outcomes at much lower costs. Got it. Great. And we'll do that under a bundled pricing arrangement, which gives predictability and a guarantee of better outcomes. So you get better health outcomes at a much, much lower cost than conventional approaches, than going just willy-nilly to different docs that are on the network. The way the parallel I see this is, if you are running any aspect of your business and you're doing any purchasing, whether you're buying laptops or they're buying some of the complicated equipment, you are going through a series of these questions to really evaluate who is the best vendor for this service, rather than you know just going to the whoever the local doctor is or local provider is. So you're kind of applying the same techniques for evaluating and putting together these contracts. Yeah, there's nothing magical or new about it. It's just doing it in healthcare. Going back to your very appropriate question of like, what's the evidence for all this? One of the things to, to consider is, there is good data, for example, showing that half of the orthopedic surgeries that we do in the US are inappropriate or unnecessary. That's not just me saying it, there's an entire literature on this. If you look at the behavior of the major health plans, here again, I'm talking about the Aetna's and Cigna's and United's and Humana's of the world, they knowingly pay for procedures that shouldn't have happened in the first place. And not only that, but they keep the doctors who do those unnecessary procedures on their networks. So to my mind, that's a clear indication that they can't be trusted to safeguard our quality or be our fiduciaries. I know it's a damning statement, but it's a very clear problem. And this is the kind of approach 
that does everything possible to undermine this kind of long-standing behavior by the industry. Mm -hmm. So if I'm really to cut through this, health plans are just not doing this job, which they are effectively supposed to play that role against the providers who are obviously going to be, you know, to some extent, you know, it's hard to kind of say, look, police, self-police yourself. The whole health plan is not doing this job of managing these contracts well enough. Not only is that true, but there are good reasons for it. If you look at the stock price growth, and I can show you the calculations on this. If you look at the stock price growth of the average major health plan since the Affordable Care Act was passed in May of 2009, I think, or March of 2009, and you look at it on a quarterly basis, they have had on average a four and a half to five and a half percent increase in stock price per quarter for something like 47 quarters. And the moral of that story is that if healthcare costs more, the health plans, they make more. And, and so, as you might imagine, the health plans are not really crazy about this renaissance of new companies that get wildly better health outcomes at much lower cost because if they take effect and we do things more appropriately, then revenues go down, which means that earnings go down, stock price goes down and market cap goes down. So what that means is that it's not just that we do the wrong care in America by accident. We're now at a place where healthcare organizations must do the wrong care, must do excessive care and exorbitant unit pricing to maintain their financial performance. That is a core problem. And my argument would be that working with organizations like the ones I've mentioned, very high performance organizations, these are our organizations that have seen an opportunity to do healthcare in a much better way in whatever they're doing. And while the health plans will not easily contract with them, the employers will. So for example, I'm working with a very large state employees health plan in the Northeast. They have more than 800,000 lives. And with the pandemic, their tax base is down. Tax revenues have shrunk and their backs are up against the wall. They're spending more money on healthcare than they've ever spent before, and they have less money to buy it with. So they are finally willing to look at proven alternatives mm -hmm. that their health plans would never have offered them. And they're willing to go, go around their health plans to get there. So as customers, employers, benefit consultants look towards this, and they are putting these, let's say, contracts in place, what kind of data do you need access to and what are some of those challenges, whether it's to track that outcome or in the first place, know what the right ways to contract with these providers are? Yeah, the first step is to get the full continuum claims data and to be able to evaluate that claims data by care category. Is this a musculoskeletal problem? Is it a digestive problem? Is it a, an endocrinological problem? 
And when you do the analyses to look at different care categories and compare that to regional and national norms and say, is this plan paying way too much or way too little or just the right amount for the kind of problems that they've got? And when you compare these, not just to regional norms, but you compare them to true best practice, like you can get from the guys from the chronic disease management group or from the musculoskeletal group, you can see that the opportunities are huge. By our best estimates, putting together a, a bundle of these different risk management modules should allow any current health plan, most any current health plan, to drop total healthcare spend by as much as 45 or 50% with better health outcomes, but easily achieve and financially guarantee a 25% reduction in total healthcare spend in the first year. Hmm. So the full claims kind of data to be able to see how much you're spending, where people are going, where your patient population is, I guess. Exactly, where are they? What kinds of programs can you put into place easily that will get the biggest bang as quickly as possible? Which programs are going to give you the best return, but with the least disruption? You want to be very careful that you don't make your employees and their families' lives more difficult by putting in a different kind of program. So you have to walk gingerly, but there are real things that you can do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And when you say disruption, you kind of mean how far they have to travel to uh, yeah. that service. And are they going to have to go to a doctor that is different than the one that they are used to going to? Are they going to have to pay more or less? So, for example, I used to own an on-site, near-site clinic company. And one of the things that we did to get people in was if you were eligible to use the clinic, you paid no copay and your drugs were free. So you would go to the clinic, you wouldn't have to pay anything. And at the end of the office visit, if you needed medications, they'd simply drop it into your hand. That solved a lot of problems and got people in at the level of primary care so that you could manage them downstream. So the incentives become relevant. Yeah. And as, as you talked about a little bit of this copay design and incentive, how do you steer these members, your patient population to these high performance providers, what do you have to do? I'm a firm believer that what you do is you eliminate the copay and you say, look, you can go to any provider that you want, but if you go to this one over here, you pay nothing. And if you go to somebody else that is not on our list, you pay half. That's what Walmart is doing with their own employee population. And it works really well, but it's hardball. But so the copay, copay reduction and then education kind of tell them, yeah. tell them, tell them, keep telling them. Exactly. Got it. So this is great. How do you track these high performance networks, providers, contracts on an ongoing basis? Well, at this point, they find me typically. It used to be that I was on the hunt for them and people would call me up and say, hey, have you looked at this company? 
And I'd, I'd say, no, never heard of them. And so they would connect me and then I'd ask them for a lot of information. And I'd spend a weekend reading about that company and thinking about it. Most of the time I, I go, this really isn't a company that I think is going to be great and I'll pass on it. And other times I'll be standing in the shower and thinking about what a company does and realize that what they're doing is breathtakingly spectacular. And I get very excited about it. The idea that something can be done so much better than the way that we've conventionally done it in the past is thrilling. I have built up a list of about 20 or 25 healthcare companies that I believe should really be used. And I promote them to large companies and mid-sized companies, and I'll stand behind them. This is wonderful. So if, if our listeners want to get in touch with you, how do they get hold of you? Oh, I'm easy to find. It's uh, B Klepper, B-K-L-E-P-P-E-R at WorksideHealthAdvisors.com, or somebody just has to Google me and, and it'll come up. I'm extremely fortunate that at this late stage of my career, I have found something that is so exciting and rewarding. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, as you've said, much needed. People have been thinking about this, but now is the time to really take that action and, and not be overwhelmed by how do you go about this? There are people out there like yourself. There is tools out there. There is just, you can attack the problem by even taking the smallest sliver of a condition or a, a particular cost driver and then you know find the right high-performing provider for that and then track it so i think the approach you are proposing is really doable and employers should certainly look at it i think that you've nailed it exactly it's breathtakingly simple the wonderful thing is that there are so many new companies out there that are doing exciting work it represents a true renaissance in american healthcare. And the question is simply whether it can get enough traction to work and to revise how we do healthcare in America. So last question uh, I'd like to ask my guests is any particular resources that you have found to be helpful that our listeners can go to? I normally wouldn't do this, but let me give a plug to, I moderate a, uh, a listserv that is dedicated to discussions of high-value and high-performance healthcare organizations. It currently has a little more than 900 healthcare professionals on it, made up of healthcare benefits advisors, healthcare employer healthcare managers, innovative vendors, and then a few doctors and Indian chiefs and so on and so forth were on it. It's a very animated discussion, very respectful. Uh, there's a lot of information that flows on healthcare stories that are in the news that relate to value. And anybody who is serious about this topic can probably thoroughly enjoy it. I very rarely get people asking to be removed from the list. So if, if anybody's interested in that, they're welcome to send me an email at bclepper at worksitehealthadvisors.com and I'll add them to the list. Wonderful. This is great. I'm sure our listeners would really enjoy this podcast and I really thank your time today. Thank you, Brian. It's been a pleasure, Ramesh. Thank you so much for having me. Have a great day. Be well.
Bye-bye. And I would like to thank eLab, our sponsor of this show. Please join us again for another podcast in the series brought to you by HCAA's Voices of Self-Funding. Please like and share so we can build a community of like-minded people. And tell us about topics that we should bring to you next. Please watch your email for updates on upcoming guests. I'm your host, Ramesh Kumar of Zaki Point Health.